0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com, to get everything that you need to know. What you need to know, it's called the Daily Wink. Go to proamericareport.com. You'll see pop up there a block you can sign up to get on the email list every morning, every weekday morning, you get the email. Also, you get the links, and especially important, you'll get all these um Interviews we do, and all these segments as standalone, you can link on it. So go to ProAmericaReport.com. It's where you can fill out your knowledge of what it means to be pro-America. That's what you got to do. All right. You can also be in touch with me directly at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter. Go over there and follow me and direct message if you'd like. Also, you can email me directly Ed at EdMartinLive.com, Ed at EdMartinLive.com, Ed at EdMartinLive.com. And of course, the texting line goes right to my phone is directly there. It's open 314-256-1776, 314-256-1776. Nothing better than hearing from folks. I don't leave my phone turned on. Uh, vibrate or ring at night. So don't worry, you won't wake me up. If you need to send a late night text, you can do it. So uh, listen, today we got a couple of great interviews, but yesterday we had this great interview with Joel Pollack. And I hope you'll visit ProAmericaReport.com and listen to that because he debunks the Charlottesville hoax, which is really important. But today I have to say, we have to talk again about the fake news. And we have to talk again about the fake news because the historic... News that happened yesterday where the United Arab Emirates signed on to a peace agreement with Israel should be big news enough. It was historic news and that was totally Trump generated. What has been missed by the media, because I think they cannot stand to make clear a successful uh, Trump uh, moment, is is that Israel gave a bunch of ground up. So you remember about, I don't know, six months or a year ago, Israel said to the Palestinians, hey, would you like to do a, a deal? Let's try to come up with a deal. And they said, no. The Palestinians said, no way, never. And so Israel grabbed, annexed a bunch of land from the Palestinians, it disputed lands, perhaps you could call it that, or more likely lands that somebody had taken or not. But that's what they did. But yesterday's announcement was that President, President Trump said, and people didn't even cover this, that Israel said, will cease the claim and those annexations will stop that move. So what you had was the United Arab, Arab Emirates and some other uh, nations, I believe, are going to come in there. And as it's been talk, it's been, not been it's not been reported definitively. It's been talked about uh, Oman and uh, Bahrain will come in also. But what happened was Israel gave the Arab nations something that they could point to and say, aha, this is progress in our direction. And whether you believe that is enough or not, or, you know, believe it was a fake grab by Israel, I don't, I think it was righteous. But the fact is, it gave them a way to save face in a place where you have to figure out how to let people save face in order to get peace. Trump engineered it, and Israel engineered it. And it's an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary insight that this was able to occur and they, the, the fact is that it's, uh, it is a big, big deal, and the media is skipping it. The media is not paying attention uh, to it, and you kind of you shake your head and you say, um, I can't believe the, uh, the, um, the, the reality is, uh, is so clear and stark. And even, by the way, let me be clear, even the New York Times and Joe Biden's campaign had to concede this is a big deal. But the big deal, they said, was this agreement. I'm saying the big deal is that the president of the United States has been able to get even our staunchest allies to say, hey, we'll do something to make this happen. And the reason why? The reason why is because they trust him. They know that he moved the, the, you know, President Trump moved the embassy to Jerusalem like they wanted. um, And, uh, you know, he's lived up to his commitments. And so uh, and so the fact is that they made progress because the present made the space available to do that now that's what you need to know on the international what you need to know on the on the domestic is for the first time job unemployment claims went down dramatically it's still not good enough yet still a lot of unemployed but the fact is the direction of the economy is getting better and better. The Dow Jones, the the Wall Street. Oh, this is very important for me to tell you. This is really important for the Pro-America Report listeners. When we work together on this, I've told you this for months. Others are catching up to it, but it's very important. I saw a criticism of the president that he was touting Wall Street. And someone said, Wall Street is not America. That's exactly right. As you and I know, oh, it was Frank Luntz. It was Frank Luntz, the pollster, who was doing an interview, and he was saying, "President talks too much about the Dow, and it's not sufficient." I agree completely. I don't think the president does, by the way, but I agree. As you recall, the index that we look at here on the Pro America Report includes four specific areas of how it how the economy is affecting American life. One is the Dow, because it's Wall Street, and that's big business, and it's up. It's up. It's back up to what it was before the Great Pause, before the shutdown. The second is unemployment. The numbers are terrible, but the direction is good and and more spectacular than people thought. It's directionally very positive. Then the other two, remember the other two index, indices I, I talk about, consumer confidence and small business confidence. Now, consumer confidence is up again. It's up it's back up. C- small business confidence surprisingly is improving. And it's improving, again, in the right direction. The point here is you take all four of those together, and what do you get? You get the psychology of the economy. You get the direction that people feel things are going in. And so what you have is the president's got peace in the Middle East, people like that. No more wars. In the, you know, forever wars are at least changing, although there's some of them are dragging on. There's still some people, there's still some uh, American soldiers in Afghanistan. There's still some things entangling. It's not like it's going to be un- un- untangled, I suppose, in, in even four years. But the direction is right. And then on the economy, you see more and more confidence that we're going in the right direction. And, you know, I've been out now, I've been out, you know, I I go to my office every day. uh, And so I go into into from my home in Virginia into the District of Columbia. And there's lots of things that are shut down. But more and more things are coming back. More and more people are going to places. They're getting more comfortable. They're comfortable with the adjustments they have to make. And more and more Americans are saying, yes, we know we're in this pandemic. Yes, we know there's a real bug, a real virus, the China virus, as the president calls it now regularly all the time, and we know who to blame, but we know we've got to get through it. We know we've got to get through it. And I just got to tell you, I suspect that every three or four days for the next 80 plus days, President Trump is going to roll out examples of these good things that he's able to accomplish. And you can't dispute them. You, you can say, oh, I would have done it this way or that way or the other way. But you can't dispute this, the general success of peace. The United Arab Emirates and Israel coming to an agreement. I mean, and it's amazing. And the only people complaining in the world are the Palestinians because they feel like they got left out of it because they didn't want to negotiate with anybody. Israel said, let's negotiate. And the Iranians. Everybody, Iranians are complaining. Everybody else is like, well, it's a pretty good deal. In fact, most of the region is saying, how do we get in on it? So the direction of the country, despite all these other things, is going the right way. And even that, so I want to give you what you need to know, international affairs and domestic, the economy right there. And even that is not what you need to know today. What you need to know today is that earlier today, one of the high level FBI lawyers, he's no longer there. He pled guilty to lying on the FISA applications, to changing the, the email. You remember this one? He changed the email, added some language that basically changed the meaning. It was a lie. He pled guilty as part of a plea agreement to, his, to violations of the law. Now, here's what you need to know. When an FBI attorney pleads guilty to his crime of changing the FISA application to change the materiality of it to make it, un, uh, you know, illegal. What you need to know is, he's flipped. You don't get to plead to one count, one count of lying on on an email and a FISA application. You don't get to plead to just that if you haven't flipped. And so his plea deal today means this is the durham investigation this is department of justice what you need to know today is 100 percent certain that durham has this guy flipped and here comes the rest of the story and what the rest of the story as the president said today is the 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 lawyer for the fbi a high level fbi guy top of the heap pled guilty to lying today in court and the president said he pled guilty to lying in court to, to helping. He was lying to help spy on the Trump campaign. What you need to know is the threads are being pulled and we're unraveling this conspiracy, this, this coup d'etat that the, this deep state and Obama people were trying to pull. That's what you need to know. All right, we'll have more on Kamala Harris later on in the program. You're going to want to tune in. I'm going to explain how badly that's going for her and for the Democrats. But right now, we've got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report
0: on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back here with you. We've had uh, a number of times in the past our, our friend Anthony Hopp, who's over at Samaritan Ministries, on the program to talk a little bit about, I think his title is Vice President of External Relations, of Samaritan Ministries. And we've had him on to talk about health care and some things that are going on. I want to get him back on now because a couple things have happened. Uh, about, um, uh, you know, in the last month or so, you've heard the president talk about uh, the Trump administration, uh, that they signed some executive orders to try to get drug prices down. We're now in the middle of this incredibly complicated uh, uh, transition in healthcare. The China virus has certainly impacted things. And there's a piece that Anthony Hopp and I were exchanging uh, called entitled Why Hospitals May Soon Become a Thing of the Past. So first of all, welcome, Anthony. How are you today?
2: Good, Ed. Thank you. Good to be with you.
1: And it's SamaritanMinistries.org where people check that out. We'll talk in a minute about that, too. But back to this question. You know, I've seen a lot. People uh, have heard a lot about how health is changing, almost like on, uh, accelerated because of the of the pandemic, right? You're, no, no one wants to go to the hospitals. No one wants to even go to hospital buildings where, for checkups and all. What are you seeing? What can people expect? And how do you think, you know, Samaritan uh, Ministries has been ahead of that a little bit, sort of in that space? I mean, walk us through what you're seeing
2: we're seeing really a decentralizing of healthcare in general and that simply means a lot of uh, treatments and procedures that have historically been done under the roof of a hospital are now being done outside the hospital and So this doesn't mean hospitals be obsolete. There still is a place for them, especially for large-scale emergencies and life-threatening issues. But things that have historically been in hospitals, things like imaging and dialysis, rehab, simple IV transfusions, joint replacements, uh, consumers are finding that there are a lot better options out there like outpatient surgery centers, um, DPC or direct primary care facilities, urgent care clinics, even telemedicine, especially during uh, the, the, uh what's been happening with covid we find more people are um, having more options and this is great because it's a sign of uh, um the good kind of health care reform true health care reform isn't going to come through ins- insurance and mandates and regulations and taxes it comes through free markets at work it comes through innovation personal responsibility price transparency That's what's at the heart of decentralization, of people knowing what things cost instead of being surprised later, then also being able to avoid the risks that come with an elongated hospital stay. I know Johns Hopkins has reported that every year, more than a quarter of a million people in the U.S. die from medical errors, and surely all of those aren't happening within a hospital, but the longer a person is in a hospital, then the, the more likely he or she is to contract a disease they didn't come in for. So overall, I think it's just a way for um, us to move closer and closer to patient-centered and consumer-driven healthcare.
1: We're talking with Anthony Hopp, and Anthony's uh, uh, the uh, VP, Vice President over at Samaritan Ministries, and I should remind our listeners, because I I know it, we've talked about it, but in terms of innovation, it's what Samaritan Ministries has done since uh, the early 1990s, coming up in just a few years, on 30 years doing this, Samaritan Ministries is healthcare sharing, and so you're talking about a direct healthcare sharing model that allows people to come together. In this case, uh, you can hear it from the name, Samaritan Ministries, those that have a sort of biblical and uh, a um, uh, kind of option for what they're doing. And I guess that the the great thing about the pandemic, lots of bad things, I mean, lots and lots of bad things, sickness, terrible people dying, terrible, but is that suddenly people I think are more willing to experiment, Anthony, and they're saying, hey, what can we do? How could we uh, change what we've been told was the system? You must go this direction to get that. You must talk to this carrier to get that paid for. You have to go into that system. Now people are saying, hey, what can we do? You know, I was thinking about it for school uh, students. Uh, all of a sudden, there's homeschooling pods and lots of people that never thought about homeschooling and places that never encouraged it northern California near San Francisco are are saying, hey, let's be innovative, find common values and let our kids learn in those settings. So what's the what's the next step? Do you when we get through the pandemic period? Do you think that we're going to see uh, more local health care options? Do you think we're going to see more uh, like Samaritan Ministries is, is in the space? In other words, finding ways to share costs, which gives you more options. What's your all of the above? What What do you think is coming?
2: Well, we certainly hope that we're moving more toward a free market approach. Of course, a lot rides on what happens in November, but people being able to take control of their health care. That's what Samaritan members are doing, and people outside of Samaritan as well, as they're being exposed to more and more options. I know just in our area in central Illinois, uh, a really good example of this is the, uh, an area hospital charging 170000 for a spinal fusion. That's just for the facility. Ad, that doesn't include the surgeon or the hmm. anesthesiologist. That's to rent the room, 170k. Wow. And meanwhile, across town, you can go to Prairie Spine and Pain Institute. Thirty thousand. It's all inclusive. It does include the surgeon and the anesthesiologist, and they'll bring you dinner on top of that. So this is just representative of um, more options that we have to take control, to remove the uh, middleman, and to let the relationship be between the patient and the provider
1: it's uh it is in some ways it's it's exciting for somebody like you and and you know and we're talking with Anthony Hopp who works at uh as vice president of external relations at Samaritan Ministries in some ways it's it, you, the the uh, a tumult causes opportunities. Uh, people are looking and saying, hey, wait, I thought I was in a thing that was effective for me or comfortable for me and my family. It's not, and they're looking. So are you finding people are more open than they have been in the past and that they're searching in a way that gives you you know, kind of a chance to sell?
2: Absolutely. People understand that healthcare sharing specifically is a very different paradigm than insurance. We're not insurance in any way but they're refreshed to find that they can come together with like-minded people and be able to not just take care of the financial aspect of the medical need, uh, but it's to look at the, the, the medical need in its totality. There's an emotional and spiritual component, too. We think a medical need is more than money, and so Samaritan members are focused on more than just the transaction. It's really connection with one another, which I think is relevant to... What we've been faced with the pandemic, one of the negative results is just um, maybe the loss of community and connection that we've had with one another. So it's been, I think, one of the bright spots is as we see people coming together and helping each other. Uh, this is what Samaritan members have been doing for 26 years is finding a practical way to help each other
1: hmm. Uh, again, Anthony Hopp is who we're talking to. It's Samaritan Ministries dot org, Samaritan dot org. Uh, Anthony, one last question. I, you know, I've been talking a lot to folks about because there's an election in the fall and that, you know, clarifying what the elections are about. One of the phrases we use is talk about promises kept, you know, the Trump Pence administration you know, ran ran for office on certain things, got in and did certain things. When you think about health care and you think about health care, at least the provision from the federal government and the changes in the laws and all, what's your sort of top one or two promises kept that the Trump administration, you know, said they were going to do some things and this is the kinds of things they did? Is it transparency on, on pricing? Is it competition? Is it taking on some of the pharmaceuticals? What are the the top kind of one or two or three promises kept you see uh, during this Trump-Pence administration? Sure. We're,
2: we're really excited about the uh, price transparency. As many will recall, I think it was June of last year, President Trump signed an executive order that essentially directed the federal agencies to adopt rules and develop reports with the ultimate goal of increasing price transparency um, with health care prices. And then back in November of last year, CMS issued a final rule that required hospitals to disclose the rates um, that they have with insurers, and then that, of course, got challenged. We knew there'd be a time of open commenting, and the American Hospital Association actually brought a lawsuit, and in 2020 of um, the June of this year, a federal judge mm-hmm. ruled against that lawsuit um, trying to block it. So a lot of folks don't realize that as of January, that rule takes effect, and it's not that hospitals are required to lift the gross charges but rather the negotiated amounts with insurance companies which is huge it, it wow. opens up for you know so we actually know what things cost in advance and yeah. <laughs> not only do those rates have to be uh, have to be posted but it has to also be done in a way that's um, searchable and uh, you know hmm. it's where people can actually find them um, in a consumer friendly manner and so we're excited about that because as self-paid patients as Samaritan members it's really important to us that we're finding a fair price and so this just opens up that door and we're appreciated that mm. that promise was kept
1: Boy, you know, you ought to, uh, Anthony, you ought to write that up and uh, and sort of publish it or self-publish it. That sort of promises kept in that. I don't, I didn't know it, and I watched this stuff pretty closely. So that's an important one. It's very good. All right, I got to run. Unfortunately, Anthony. Those, thank you, Anthony Hop. And again, I'll put up on social media SamaritanMinistries.org. Resource, You know, as I mentioned, direct healthcare sharing model, very interesting and helpful for its members. Also, a lot of information there on on healthcare, empowering individuals uh, to make their lives better is really what I'd say Samaritan Ministry does. So thank you, Anthony. Anthony, we'll, we got it running. I'll take a quick break. I'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This
0: is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, we've been talking for, I don't know, a year longer than that very specifically about the communist regime in china and the threats that they have you know uh they they will not the threats the actions they've taken against america our next guest is rick berman and rick is a president of the Bur- berman and company a, a, a washington dc based public affairs uh company but he's also one of the things is great is he's right on these issues uh, a lot of times you meet these people that run big uh, companies and they they have lots of different clients but in this one uh and this issue uh rick has been uh, writing about this topic and it's so important this recent piece in the washington times about confronting the chinese communist regime in the united states in the last 48 hours maybe we've had the the some of these confucius centers which are chinese funded entities kind of centers on academic campuses they've been identified as a threat by the trump administration so and very very timely to talk with rick welcome to the program rick how are you
0: i'm so good ed and thanks for having me on here
1: well, it's good to have you on. And I know our, our listeners and, and sort of the public eye has really become aware of this in the last month because of the Chinese consulate in Houston. But if you know the issue, you know it's really been going on for a lot longer. My, my question to you is, do you think the public has wrapped their mind collectively. I know it's a big question, but, but I mean, you know, their understanding is such now that they recognize the threat of the Chinese communist regime. You know, it took 25 years for a lot of Americans after World War II to recognize the Soviet communist threat. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, they were OK. They were with us in the war and we can get along. And it, you had to break that down. It feels like we've passed through a, a sort of uh, a moment where the American people have come to understand the threat. Do you agree with that? Or what do you think?
0: Um, I'm afraid that they don't. And and quite frankly, this is so much greater than the threat from Russia. You know, the big threat from Russia was the Cold War and whether somebody was going to nuke somebody else first. This, right. this is far more insidious. Um, we have gotten ourselves so wrapped up with China, and they are now taking advantage of us in ways that most people have no idea of. <clears throat> You know, from from the Nixon administration up through the Obama administration, whether it was Democrats or Republicans, they saw to it that we were doing more things with China to bring them into being a first world country. Uh, we were helping them. We were treating them like a third world country forever. To Trump's credit, he's he's obviously put a stop to that. But trying to unscramble the omelet at this point is very very difficult. You know, most of our antibiotics, 97% of our antibiotics, come out of China. Um, we're beholden to them for all sorts of things: penicillin, blood pressure medicines. Um, and then, then you get into uh, rare earths. Uh, people don't understand that uh, up up front, but rare earths are the metals that are used to make magnets and, most, most importantly, cell phones, uh, transistor, um, not transistors, uh, electronic equipment. And they make 80% of, the, they mine 80% of the rare earth metals um, for the for the world. And right. the list goes on. Um, they have they've taken over the movie industry, either directly or indirectly, because they, well, first of all, they own more movie theater screens in the United States than any other company. And if you want to show an anti-China movie or, or a movie about China that has anything in it that they find um, objectionable, they're not going to allow that, that movie to be shown. And that goes into how do you, how do you show um, uh, an actor? Uh, is he the bad guy? If it's a Chinese bad guy, forget it. That, that movie's not going to be shown. And, and it's not going to be shown in China either, where they've got more movie theater screens than we have in the United States. And that means a movie is commercially non-viable. The list goes on, and if people want to really understand what's going on here, I, I put up a very readable white paper on our website, dot com. Okay. If you read that, and it, it's, it's a fast read, um, it's well documented, you will understand not only about the Confucius Institutes that, that you spoke about, but um, so much more where they are holding the United States hostage in ways that most people don't understand.
1: It's interesting, Rick, that you I mean, I'm mean, i glad I asked you that question the way I did, because you, you answered it. A lot of people will uh, uh, sort of jump to it. Yeah. Yeah. We're all uh, aware of the problem. And, and I, I especially agree with you on this, that when you read the books, I'm holding one of them right next to me, Michael uh, Pillsbury's book, The Hundred Year Marathon. And, you know, the Chinese, even even very differently culturally than the Soviets and the Russians, they think in such a long term, they're, they're, they're thinking differently than Americans can even sort of understand. We think in our lifetime. Maybe our kids' lifetimes—they think more, a more uh, a longer view. Um, I guess the question is this: Is is are we having success? Different question now. Has the president of the United States and some of our efforts—you know—there was news today that uh, Israel um, did not sign. I think there was a major agreement um, to build a desalination plant. There was a Chinese company bidding for it. They refused that company and gave it to an American company. I think that may, I may be su- summarizing too 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 uh, too glibly, but but my point is. Um, are we making progress or are we a sort of making a little bit of noise and the Chinese are continuing their sort of March onward? Uh,
0: it's the latter. And one of the main reasons <laughs> is that it's not only happening, it's not only happening in this country, but they, they have got their hooks into uh, countries in South America, in c- countries in Africa, in countries um, uh, in Europe. Uh, they've got their hooks into Italy and Greece. And the point is, when you have um, what 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 some people call uh, debt-trap diplomacy, because they've got all these countries right. in debt to them, um, then when it gets to votes in the U.N., you know, there's a, China takes a position against the United States, it's amazing how through their economic chokeholds on some of these countries that they can get the votes in the U.N. to look a lot different than they would have been had the Chinese influence not been there. And, and we've done all this. I mean, it's it's quite frankly our fault. We, we have built China up. We let China into the World Trade Organization. We've given the most favored nation status. We've let them into the World Bank, into the International Monetary Fund. I mean, the list goes on as to how we have boosted China up. How did they go from a backward country to a country today, um, which is so much more sophisticated than most people realize? We've heard so much about Wuhan and the Wuhan virus. You go on the Internet and look up pictures of Wuhan. Just put in there pictures of Wuhan. You will see a country, uh, a city, first of all, which is as big as New York. I've got about 8 million people. Right. right. But, right. You, but you will see architecture that is more sophisticated than anything in this country. It's incredible.
1: And we did it. <laughs> because I was just going to say they, they we we, we, uh, we aided them all right uh Rick what's the future uh, is the is the political reality of um, you know biden is more more friendly to China Trump is not maybe that's real or maybe that's not, but is the will uh, of the political parties both of them uh stronger now will it be to stand up to the Chinese again same question or are or, or are we sort of making a little bit of noise and then lurching back to what we 're doing before I mean uh, by the way, I heard something today, another commentator said Uh, businesses are really worried about the impact of WeChat and the president. Oh, he was asked this question at a press conference earlier today, and they said, you know, if you limit the use of WeChat in China, some of our businesses think they won't be able to sell things. And the president said, yeah, that's right. Tough luck, meaning we have to protect our security. But you can tell the businesses are chomping at the bit to get back to the 1.4 billion people. Right. So are the parties and Wall Street seeing the problem or are they just navigating through this back to where they were a year or two or three ago?
0: I fear that um, that the businesses will, in fact, put pressure on whatever administration's in power to not upset all the apple carts that they have built. Um, Mm -hmm. Trump's position is much stronger than I expect a Biden position to be on this. And you can't wait for this thing to get a whole lot worse because it really is bad right now. And it is it is bad in ways, as I said earlier, that most people don't realize. And one of the reasons that they don't realize it is that the Chinese are very deliberate, they're very strategic in seeing to it that they have made a good impression on people. I mean, you don't hear negative stuff about China. You don't hear it about it in Washington, where I live. Well, here's one of the reasons. They spent $30 million last year on high-priced lobbying firms and PR firms. $30 $30 million. You won't right. find a, a, a major company spending $30 million on lobbying and PR in Washington. But that's what they do, mm-hmm. and And, and that's, that's on the record. I don't know what's gone on uh, that I can't see. Those are all from foreign, uh, foreign Agent Registration Act filings. But there's probably a lot of money being spent that's under the table. Hmm. And, and, well the, the companies the companies that are over there don't want to bring all those jobs back because it means that they're going to have to spend a whole lot of money you know building a new factory
1: yeah. Well, I'm looking right now, uh, and again, we're talking with uh, Rick Berman uh, and about his column recently in The Washington Times, but now, more importantly, uh, at the website ChinaOwnsUs.com. Uh, thanks, Rick. I'm sorry. I'm running out of time, but I'm looking at this white paper, too, there. I'll, I'll put this up, and I'll, let's have you back on again to talk a little bit more about this. I think um, you know the decoupling with China, which I'm all for, I'm 100% for it. There's a list a mile long, but we have to work at it to sell it to ourselves and our neighbors. So thank you for your time, and uh, we'll have you on again, okay?
0: Thanks so much.
1: All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment.
2: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
1: On September 22nd, 2001, Phyllis Schlafly addressed a group of her friends and conservative allies, saying this, So, Eagles, consider yourself blessed that you are on the battlefield that will determine the soul, the culture, the laws, the public officials, and the future of America. America is the only nation that was founded on an idea, not on a race or a circumstance or geography or ethnic identity, but on an idea. The idea that life and liberty came to each of us from our Creator. Phyllis Schlafly was a woman who loved God, her family, and the United States of America. Tomorrow would have been her 96th birthday, so let's take a moment to reflect on her inspiring, full life. She used her time on this earth to strengthen the values and fight for the rights of the American people. She recognized that America was a nation worth fighting for, preserving, nurturing, and promoting for the benefit of future generations. Phyllis's fiery spirit was emblazoned with truth, love, and compassion. She knew the history of our nation, and she knew, too, that our history calls for action. Our Founding Fathers took action to free the people from the tyranny of Great Britain. And just like the Founding Fathers, Phyllis' efforts throughout her life were not to gain fame or fulfillment. She fought for America's future generations. Phyllis Schlafly's writings have left behind a treasure trove of truth and wisdom for all of us today. Although Phyllis is not with us in person anymore, her legacy serves as a beacon of hope during these uncertain times. She answered the call to leadership, after all, and now it's our time to return the favor. Phyllis closed that 2001 speech with these heartfelt words. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. We shall run and we will never be weary, Phyllis finished. Phyllis never promised that the work would be easy, but she did believe in placing complete trust in God to preserve this nation. What will you do to carry on her legacy?
2: Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You'll be glad to know the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly continues, upheld by Ed Martin, President of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Chairman Helen Marie Taylor, Treasurer John Schlafly, a full staff in St. Louis and our nation's capital, and thousands of citizen volunteers, her eagles, across the country. You can be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com.
1: Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Well, those are some both good interviews, very good interviews. So don't forget the Pro-America Report. You can go over to ProAmericaReport.com and find those interviews. Anthony Hopp, earlier Rick Berman. I'm really intrigued by Rick Berman and that website, ChinaOwnsUs.com. That's very clever. So um, we will – you want to go listen to those. And if you go over to ProAmericaReport.com, don't forget you can sign up for the Daily Wink. Put your email address in there, and I'll send you an email every weekday morning, 5 a.m. Pacific time. You'll get all you need to know, what you need to know right there, you can also follow me on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin. I put the same stuff up there at Eagle Ed Martin, and just be in touch. Okay, we have to finish things up today. It's late in the week, and uh, you're headed towards the weekend. It's late in the week, ready for weekend now. But here's what I want to walk you through. Because I started to warm up to this last, uh, in the last three days or so. And I think it's really important. I'm going to try it out. And I'm going to work with you on it. And then I'll probably write about this next week. I'll either write about it in the Wink, the Daily Wink, which again, you can go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up and get it there. Or I may write a standalone piece and publish it somewhere like I did in uh, Breitbart.com a few weeks ago or whatever. Here's the topic. The, the mounting evidence that you should be noticing is the evidence of a civil war going on within the, a Democrat Party. And you say, oh, really? They've been covering, they, they, it's like, eight never-Trumpers, and they are loud people, and everyone complains. Isn't the Republican Party having a bit? No, 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 no. The Republican Party is Donald Trump's party. It's been realigned with his position. I'm not saying it's a forever realignment. I it could shift again. But currently, if you get outside of the Trumpian positions in the Republican Party, you're lost, America first, pro-life, no more uh, forever wars, uh, you know, kind of lower the regulatory burden, peace in the world is better. You get the point. Immigration, stop it. All that. In the Democrat Party, however, the evidence is growing of the fight within the party. And here's some of what you're seeing. Ralph Nader wrote a lengthy piece addressing how he thinks AOC has not stood up for what she said she'd stand up for. Now, Ralph Nader is the dyed in the wool, far, you know, green, far left, greeny and all. He's, he's Ralph Nader, right? AOC, and here's a detail. In my home state, Missouri, Cory Bush, who just upset She ran in the Democrat primary. She's a total left, far left, you know, squad kind of member person. She ran for Congress two years ago in the primary against a longtime Democrat. She happens to be African American. Her opponent was African, is African American also. His name is, uh, is uh, Lacey Clay, longtime congressman, prominent in the black caucus in the, in the Democrat party. So Cori Bush ran two years ago, lost. Two years ago, she was backed by AOC. This time she runs and AOC didn't back her. AOC was missing in action. Why? Well, because AOC's in Congress now, and she's had to figure out how to get along. You can call it sell out, but it's mostly just get along. So now you have Ralph Nader saying, where are you? Why haven't you done anything? You have Cory Bush, who wins her election, and she wasn't backed by AOC, although she'd probably be embraced by her now, but it makes it kind of hostile. And here's where, again, where it gets interesting. Now they're writing the articles about how Kamala Harris and her people went out and took care of her opposition in the run-up to the VP. So they made it clear that, Karen, uh, that Congresswoman Bass was too liberal and Susan Rice was too swampy and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and so much so that the comeback from the left is Kamala Harris is not really progressive. Neither is Joe Biden. Therefore, this isn't a real thing. So we're not gonna, so we're gonna sit it out. And they're talking about a general strike in America, the far left, to general strike because they think it will be embarrassing for President Trump when, in fact, it will show, again, the true colors of the Democrat Party. That's probably what they're hoping for. And now Biden, <laughs> Biden, there's articles now being written about how Biden uh, was not one was not the person that Obama wanted to run for president. They don't think he's good enough. I mean, they're already sort of getting ready to make excuses for why he's going to lose. It may be, by the way, so they can get rid of him. Uh, There's all these articles about how there's uh, these essays in Politico, uh, columns in Politico about how uh, uh, Hillary Clinton people don't think Biden has what it takes. And then Biden people are saying that the uh, Kamala Harris staff, the people who guided her in the primary uh, aren't very good. There's even one thing that's in The New York Times. The opening paragraph says Biden got worried that Kamala Harris was so disliked by Democrats in California that he asked his staff, is it possible that she's not even popular in her home state? And they said, oh, she's disliked by all the Democrats, but the rank and file, the regular people, they love her. Well, in California, if you get the Democratic nomination, you're going to win all the votes. There's no real Republican opposition. My point here is and and, remember. The Democrat Party ran out of its uh, midst the last pro-life Democrat in the United States Congress, in the United States House, Dan Lipinski. That was uh, in the primary a few months ago. So uh, what I'm trying to say to you is this civil war, it's percolating now. And you know what happens when you're losing is you start to point fingers. So yesterday, Donald Trump announces a major peace deal and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris go and have a press conference where they don't take any questions from the press and they say everybody should wear masks. And they say, everybody should wear a mask. Everybody should wear masks. States should do it. State governors should tell them to do it. Well, that's the same position Trump has. I mean, Trump has said the same thing. People should wear masks and governors should be the ones in charge of exactly how you enforce that. So it's not a distinction that they've made. But my point is, watch the battle happening in the Democrat Party. And the amazing thing is, starting Monday night, they have their convention. And it's going to get really clear, really fast, that there's a whole bunch of the party that wants to say, here we are on the far left. And Biden and his people are going to be like, no, not really, not really, not really, because they know America doesn't want it. It's pretty extraordinary. All right. We've got a lot more to cover next week. We'll be back Monday night. We'll be in the midst of the Democrat National Convention. It starts Monday. You're going to want to hear more about that. And we'll look forward to it. All right. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our technical director, Joanna, for helping book these guests. And I'll talk to you on Monday. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Have a great weekend.